This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, check out our other podcast, Fiat Vox, about the people and research at Berkeley. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. We want to tell you about another show you might enjoy, TEDx Shorts. Hosted by Atasa Leone, TEDx Shorts will immerse you in surprising knowledge, fresh perspectives, and moving stories from some of the most compelling TEDx community talks out there. Start each day with short, eye-opening ideas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation harnesses the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn how their grantees are helping to address the coronavirus crisis at templeton.org. Hi, Dad. Hi, darling. When was the last time you sang to yourself? I was sitting on the couch watching a documentary about Pavarotti, and I sang with Nessun Dorma with him. When did you last sing to yourself? Hmm. I sing to myself a lot, and I sang to Ruben just now when he passed out in the bed. He said, I really need a struggle. Uh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. And I often try to sing Chattanooga Choo Choo, but I can, I get about a quarter of the way through every verse. Chattanooga Choo Choo, won't you choo choo me home, Chattanooga. Okay, so make three true we statements each. Yeah, we're both stuck in the midst of this (laughs) (laughs) horrific, out of nowhere situation. It came like an asteroid from outer space. I mean... Yeah. Zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Okay, my turn. Yeah. We are both laughing about things that are painful and sweet, and it feels so good to laugh with you. It's something I really love about you, and I do it when I'm with you, and that's... I really appreciate it. (laughs) For what in your life do you feel most grateful? My children. And now I cry. (laughs) It's that kind of day, Dad. One of the greatest challenges of sheltering in place is our physical isolation from our friends and family and people we love. And if those loved ones are older or have health problems, we need to be even more cautious. That's the case for our guest today, Rebecca Vitali Decola. She's a teacher who's been staying at home with her husband and son in Brooklyn while her 82-year-old dad, Joe, is all by himself in Manhattan with stage 4 lung cancer. When we asked Rebecca to try a science-backed practice to bring a little bit more happiness into her life, she chose one to help her connect more with Joe. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us on The Science of Happiness. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Decker. Before we delve into how the practice went, can you tell us a bit more about your dad? My dad... He had had this whole life and career as an American sort of political dude and was living in secret as a gay man and with a lot of shame around that and obviously fear around that. And so he came out when he was 53 years old and it was his second marriage and he had four kids. And, you know, that'll really do a number on you and your ability to be close to people. You know, he said at one point, like, once you start lying, once you start deceiving, like, you just have to keep 
shutting parts of yourself and your life down to protect your shame. And I think when he came out of the closet and got a therapist who said, yes, you are gay, um, instead of a therapist who said, no, you're not gay, that meant that he was able to begin a really like an adolescence at age 53 that he hadn't been able to really have. Just like, who am I and who do I love? And what is it like to be a person who feels you know, vulnerable and present with people in this way. And it kind of kicked off this process of increasing closeness, like of actually trying to have real intimate relationships with the people in his life that he had been keeping some distance from because he felt so distant from himself. Quite a transformation. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Hmm. And he's so lonely right now. I mean, this man is a champion of social distancing and has been doing it for years because every time there's a cold season, you know, he's got to be careful because he's immunocompromised. And so he was like, oh, I'm all set. You know, the first week of quarantine, he was like, I got my dinner and I had this beautiful bouquet of flowers. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he just sounded like tucked in and content. (laughs) And then this past week he said, you know, I'm feeling so lonely. I'm just really, really lonely. What's it like for you right now? My dad is healthy, (laughs) relatively speaking. We miss each other. All of that is very, very strange and reorganizing, but um, we're doing all right. I wanted to ask you, you it's wonderful you did, as the happiness practice, you chose the 36 questions for increasing closeness and you know, one of the first nights that we were quarantined, I got my older daughter, Natalie, and my wife, and I was like, all right, let's try this. And we did it, you know, as a family. You did? How old is yeah. your daughter? <laughs> She's 22. Okay, wow. So you chose to do it with your 82-year-old dad, and yep. what was it like for you to do the practice with him? It was great. I was, like, so weepy and floppy, and, <laughs> like, <laughs> it was really sweet. Oh. It was sweet to see his face on FaceTime for so long. You know, we talked oh. to each other a lot, but to like really dedicate time to doing it. And we broke all the rules. You're supposed to do (laughs) these three sets of questions and spend 15 minutes on each set and progress through them pretty quickly in order to get to the sort of intimacy of the last set of questions in the sort of progressive way. And, you know, we just, he talks too much and I talk too much. And so we just ended up, you know, going into all of these other digressions and tangents and but we really enjoyed talking to each other so it was we spent like I think an hour and change on the first set which is meant to be 15 minutes and then um (laughs) but that was a real pleasure and it was a real pleasure to just to hear him talk about these moments that I I've heard a little bit about but I hadn't really heard about before which would never have shaken out were it not for this very kind of structured protocol so that felt really lucky yeah What were some of the ones that really stuck out for you, that really struck you? Some of the questions spoke to things that we have spent a lot of time recently talking about and being immersed in. Because my father got this stage four lung cancer diagnosis, like Mm. two weeks before my wedding, five years ago, we all thought he was going to die. So we started addressing life and mortality. And, you know, our relationship really changed at that time. And I think it's actually stayed in a totally different state than it otherwise would have or could have. Were he not to have responded to his own cancer diagnosis in the way that he did? Um, Mm. And also, were we not to have imagined that we had this very limited amount of time together on planet Earth? And so, you know, some of the questions, there was one, if you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? Well... 
if I could keep my own mind and have the body of a 30-year-old, I'd love that. Yeah. That would be pretty great. I miss being able to be thoughtless about my body. Move without thinking. Just move and move gracefully. Get up from the tying my shoes easily. Yeah, totally. <laughs> would you like to be famous, Dad? No, not particularly. I thought I would, when I was younger, I thought I did wanted to, but I, not now. It's not important. And then, you know, if you were going to die tonight, some of the questions are like, I think, kind of hokey and maudlin. But basically, I heard my father sort of say over and over again, like, I wake up every morning and I think, I can't believe I'm still here and I could die tonight and I can't believe I didn't die last night. And that was that's really special. It just kept kind of surfacing that theme. He's gotten so gooey and so sweet in his old age. I don't know. I just feel like I've had all these different lives with him and felt very lucky to really spend time yeah. kind of swimming around in this current life and like really listening to him talk about his worldview, which is... I'm learning a lot from, you know, he's going out really well. You talk about how the structured questions and some of them feel a little bit hokey, but they get you to these other revelations or some of the things that you guys landed on through this conversation. My father's mother died in childbirth with him. Wow. And in our first set of questions, there was a question about like, if you could change something about your childhood, if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? And he said, I would have my mother. My mom. Yeah. Because I really think she would have been really an interesting woman. Yeah. And a really good thing in my life. Yeah. My father has talked a lot about that loss over the course of my lifetime and will sometimes mention her and has talked about his father and his father's alcoholism and his father's abusive relationship with his stepmother, who was also alcoholic, and sort of what his early adolescent life was like and where he spent his time at his neighbor's house and, you know, why he left and tried to get into college and got into college at age 16 and, like, never went back to Ohio. She was so central in his narrative. There was a moment in set three, I think, where... It's like if your apartment was burning and you could get all the people you love out of it and your pets out of it, but you had to like go back for one material item, one possession, like what would you run back for in a fire? And he said this, you know, photograph I have of my mom. And yeah, mm. I mean, I just kept crying. I like could not stop crying listening to him talk. And I didn't know that. I mean, wow. yeah, it's just very significant. So yeah, that was a revelation. It was just really poignant. He's, you know, he's 82 and he never met her. And she still occupies such an important part of his life and consciousness. And uh, that was really deep. This 36 questions exercise is often used in the lab to get strangers to become friends and look at what the process of friendship is like. Rudy Mendoza Denton here at Berkeley's used it with people of different ethnic backgrounds. And they start to discover, wow, we have these commonalities. Right. We're both humans, whatever. Was there that kind of discovery in your conversation with your dad? There were a number of questions, yes, that felt like they were sort of leading to that moment of the encounter becoming more intimate. And I think we were a different set in that way because we have a close relationship and that's currently challenged by the structure and reality of our lives and by everything. And, you know, uh, having a three-year-old and having a full-time job and him living in a different borough and whatever. But it was really just about being closer. 
I took it literally, like this was about increasing closeness and I did feel like we're pretty close and we have a lot in common and I feel pretty acquainted with those parts of him and myself that we share, but I don't necessarily get to spend time just kind of like indulging that feeling. And that was powerful. It felt like a practice, like this is good practice. And no matter how close you may feel to someone, just to be able to set aside time to talk with them in this way, you know, as candidly and as openly as you can, it's just a privilege. It's very lucky to be able to do that. You know, I know a lot of people with the pandemic right now, one of the things that's catching them off guard in a sort of uplifting sense is they're having slightly longer conversations with the people they're sheltering. Totally. You know, it's been really profound. One of the powers of this practice is it gets you to start going back and forth where you're talking about what person you'd want to have over for dinner. When did you last cry in front of somebody? Yeah. Did you find yourself exchanging stuff and showing vulnerabilities? Yeah. It's embarrassing. And I can't believe I'm giving you a recorded (laughs) audio file with these moments. I think the moment of revelation, actually, that we both had, I think the deepest moment for me in our conversation was this moment in which we had been talking about how, like, it's one thing we do have in common. The three things that you and I appear to have in common. I think our smile. <laughs> yeah. I think our eyes. Yeah. And I sort of think our joie de vivre. We both really just enjoy enjoying life and feeling mm. like connected to people and just enjoying our lives. And I, my dad just like giggles. He just, he'll say something sometimes, you know, that's very painful and then he'll just chuckle about it. But he doesn't necessarily talk about these more painful parts of his life or mm. of himself or of his day. I think that we've connected around some of the pleasure of life, which has been really mm. lucky. But we don't necessarily say like, hey, I'm having a really hard day. But actually, I think the most powerful moment of this whole exchange was, I think I haven't said that to my father as an adult. Like, I want to tell you more about what's going on for me that's a challenge. And like, because I know you want to know. And I think I protect myself from sharing that with you. And in some ways protect you. Like, I don't want you to have to deal with it because you got plenty going on. But it actually is important. You know, one of the things that the practice has built into it is the kind of the reciprocity of conversation where you take turns asking each other questions. What was it like to have this reciprocal exchange of sort of personal stuff? I think it's great. I mean, I think there is something, just the ritual experience of turn-taking, I think, is can be really yeah. powerful. And I think asking a question and, like, noticing the different way that my father would phrase the same question actually was at some moments like really poignant. Do you ever rehearse what you're going to say? Do you ever rehearse what you're going to say? For what in your life do you feel most grateful? For what in your life do you feel most grateful? So I think it just changes the texture of talking and I spend a lot of time with my dad listening and asking him Mm. questions and then enjoying his responses. But I don't always talk as much to my dad about myself and my own life. And I think this kind of forced that in a way that was a little bit uncomfortable for me and I felt grateful for. Yeah. His life took up a lot of space, it seems. Yeah, man. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's like that. Yeah, sometimes it's like that. Exactly. You know, and I want to ask you, and you're in this poignant moment with your dad, only augmented by the pandemic. He has stage four cancer. 
how do you think that this practice will shape going forward with your dad and, and your relationship? It sort of reminded me of ways that I want to be with him. And I think he felt the yeah. same. Like, I think we were able to to sort of settle on a few <laughs> agreements about yeah. how we want to relate a little bit more intentionally sometimes to feel close. Yeah. So I think it reminded us, him, you know, as all of this does, that we want to be a little more committed to the practice of like checking in. So that's yeah. lucky. Do you think you'd try these questions again with someone else? I actually think I am going to do this again with my husband, Daniel, who I was thinking <laughs> about because you marry someone and you have a child with them and have a house with them and, you know, get into, you can have a lot of time spent talking to each other about logistical day-to-day, you know, banal <laughs> stuff. And I was thinking we should do this. Like, this could be good. So we probably will. As awkward and stilted and formulaic as it might feel at certain moments, I think it, it yields a pretty incredible conversation. So, Well, Rebecca, I want to thank you for taking time out in a really complicated time to share your wisdom with us. It's been amazing. Thanks, Decker. Not wisdom, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> More on why 36 questions can increase closeness up next. You get close to someone by sharing personal information, but not too much too fast, and both ways. Arthur Aaron is a psychology professor at Stony Brook University in New York. He developed the 36 questions practice. So we set up a thing where at the beginning you share things that are not very difficult to talk about or not very personal, and both people do it. But over time, the questions become more and more personal. And as you've gotten used to them, then you're able to go deeper. We have some items like, name some things you've noticed that you have in common with your partner. Another huge factor in getting close in both non-romantic and romantic is thinking the other person likes you. And so we have some questions after a little while where each of them is asked to say, name some things you like about your partner. In one study, Art's team brought in complete strangers and paired them off to answer the 36 questions and then compared them to a group answering mundane questions like, what time do you get up in the morning or what's the name of the street that you live on? Those who were in the experimental group at the end reported a very high degree of closeness. Other studies have shown that the hormones change, that you're more comfortable with the person afterwards, that hormones that are associated with sort of connectedness become more active. We see it in the brain scanner, we see it in their behavior, all sorts of things. Art has studied the effects of the 36 questions on strangers, romantic partners, and people of different ethnic groups. One of the things we were able to do is to randomly assign people to get close or not close to someone of another group, and then to measure their attitudes towards that group in some other context. And we've gotten very good results consistently. There are certain stress hormones that come up when you meet someone of another group, but you show less of that if you've just interacted with someone else of that group. Across the different types of studies, researchers have found that it's key to have people take turns asking and answering the questions. In fact, there's been studies comparing situations where one answers a whole set of them and then the other answers a whole set of them. You don't get the same effect as if you go back and forth. These 36 questions were originally designed for university students, 
So some may not feel right for older people. If that's the case, Arthur says, make up your own questions. The principle is to get closer, start talking about something, and each of you talk about something that's somewhat personal and then more personal and then more personal. That idea works really well. I'm Dacher Keltner. Thanks for joining me on The Science of Happiness. You can check out the 36 questions for increasing closeness practice on our Greater Good in Action website at ggia.berkeley.edu. And if you like our show, check out our new Greater Good Toolkit. It's a beautifully designed, printed set of 30 science-based practices to bring more happiness into your life. You can order your own toolkit at holstie.com slash greatergood. That's H-O-L-S-T-E-E dot com slash greatergood. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRX. Our senior producer is Shuka Kalantari. Production assistance is from Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila of BMP Audio. Special thanks to our associate producer, Brett Simpson, from UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. Our executive producer is Jane Park. Our editor-in-chief is Jason Marsh. And our science director is Emiliana Simon-Thomas. Share your thoughts with the hashtag happinesspod or by emailing us at greater at berkeley.edu. You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can find more talks with transcripts at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.